I remember, again, with your podcast, Patch was talking about the Monster Off Whip, and I guess it just shows how it is being in when you're climbing together, because um, I don't remember him on that pitch really at all. I didn't realise how grim off whip climbing actually is if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he was going to die. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to die, and you just think this is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it was unbelievable. And all I could hear was, "Patch, you're gonna die." <laughs> Bailing down. He, he probably thought it was hilarious when I dropped the cam and face was now, facing me. He was probably like, "Oh, <laughs> you know, I can imagine him laughing." I'm on the brink of tears, like thinking this is game over, and half the crag have been fits of laughter. This episode, we join our third musketeer. The third of the trio with Leo and Patch is Ben Bransby. I've split this episode into two parts because with Leo and Patch, they're really coming-of-age stories. And in Ben's, he very much does come of age. And the second episode explores the results of that. In this first episode, we're going to follow him and Patch, and then later Ivan Tresh on Freerider. So when Patch and Ben did Freerider... They frigged a little bit of it. Ben was left pretty unsatisfied, really. And he had some unfinished business that he wanted to settle a few years later. I first came across Ben in the back pages of On the Edge, with pink, green or red hair and skate shoes, and he was part of the competition scene. It wasn't long before he was on the front covers. I always had this idea of Patch as this mentally solid character who put himself in dangerous positions and just got on with it. Leo seemed a little bit more renegade, And that's how Patch painted him. While he and Ben were off climbing routes in Yosemite, Leo was making contacts and partying. And his appetite for risk was an outward expression of who he was, not some internal battle to be resolved. It's funny how your vantage point colours your judgments about others. Bransby always struck me as the more methodical of the three, despite the hair, the baggy trousers and and the run-ins with his coaches in the competition days. If you speak to anyone who's seen Ben climb, they'll describe him as the ultimate technician. Strong and smooth, with a perfect understanding of his balance. Just mention his name and people will tell you this unprovoked. It's hardly surprising given that Ben started so young, with climbing parents. You're listening to Factor 2, from UK Climbing. Climbing seemed quite rock and roll back then. The whole scene was just pretty... Maybe not inspiring, but you know, the whole scene was just kind of like crazy to a, to a you know, 9, 10, 11 year old kid, you were just like, wow, this is amazing, these guys, you know, I'm seeing in magazines or I'm hanging out with down the wall, you've got, you know, you know multicolored dyed hair and lycra tights on and, you know, it's a, it's a pretty cool scene, you know, it was like, you know, and you'd see your rock stars in the magazine, like Andy Pollitz and then the lads, we were in, um, my dad was in the Harrogate Climbing Club and there were, you know, some of the younger lads on that who had long hair and good tights and the luminous tour bags were just like to me they were like the rock stars in the magazine you know they were pretty wild characters and then you know you go to school and it's a bunch of eight-year-old lads who who play football but then on your your evenings and your weekends you're kind of hanging out with these 20 year old kind of dudes <laughs> um but so people like ben you know ben and jerry obviously were in the mags a lot back then and it was weird you know there was i did very little sport climbing and i was mostly a a trad climber, but it was probably someone like Ben or Jerry who made that biggest impression on me as a as a young lad in the magazines. I think it was on a Tuesday night in winter. We used to go down guys who all, um, you know, as part of the climbing club, and I was pretty much the only kid, you know, who went there back back then. Um, I think there was one other lad, a young lad called Eddie, 
never never knew what happened to him. He was like a year younger than me. But other than that, it was all yeah, it was all all older people. Um, but you know, I climbed my dad a lot. You know, I climbed, my mum stopped climbing when I was born, but she had been a climber, um, and my dad was still a you know still a, still a keen climber. So I climbed with him a lot and people his age. But yeah, the, the guys that a little bit younger were the people who you know who who are kind of looked up to in a in a way that you know those guys cool i'd got really keen when i was probably nine so you know in those early years up to nine i I was climbing you know a a reasonable amount like i said i did a multi-pitch route when i was five or six and and stuff but when i was nine i got really keen and then by the time i was 11 i'd had you know a few years of, of climbing a lot and we lived in a place called called north rigton which is it's kind of two villages below Armscliff, but it's the one in kind of more to the north. But, you know, it was, I could run up to Armscliff after school. I used to time it, I think it took me like, you know, seven minutes to run to Armscliff from my house. So, you know, I was climbing loads and loads. By the time I was 11, I'd done a lot of, you know, I'd covered a lot of ground, you know, not on the sharp end, but I'd seconded a lot, I'd bouldered a lot. I guess being being an only child um, and with a mum who was, was kind, she would, you know, she would come and belay me. So I'd often have days either in midweek or in the summer when, you know, when my dad was working and people around and by then I was leading and she would just come and belay me and I'd do, you know, 15 routes and then just, you know, either upside down or second them to strip the gear. So I got a huge amount of, of leading. Um, so in that first year I went from, you know, like leading VSs and then I was leading E2 by the, by the end of that year. You know, it's funny now when I look at all the young kids coming through who are at, you know, such a phenomenal level compared with me, but yeah, I think at that time with the, with the people who ended up being kind of the guys I climbed with, you know, so like, like Leo, like Patch, like Pete Robbins, like Calf, I think I had a higher physical ability, you know, I had more stamina for sure, maybe a bit more strength. Um, they were often a bit bold, you know, bolder and they were, you know, all, we were all pretty close, but I tended to just have, to, to be in with that kind of edge on them physically from having done the, maybe from doing the comps a bit more than they did partly because when we moved down down south near Bristol there was a lot less local climbing so I you know used to go to climbing a lot um, you know the nearest climbing was in Bristol in the both in the Avon Gorge but also in the climbing wall there so you know I was I was mad keen to climb anywhere so we went to the wall you know in, in winter particularly um, and I just did a lot of a lot of mileage well someone like Pete who lived up, up here in Sheffield you know he probably went to the wall less because he had I had Gritson right here. I was never super, super motivated for the comps. Um, I always had various little runs in with like the team management crew not taking it seriously and dressing up and doing silly things. But it did give you a, a bit of a focus over the winter, particularly to, to just stay that little bit, that little bit fitter. Um, and it was, you know, as, we, as I got a bit older and into the senior category, you know, you definitely knew your place. You'd go to an international comp against, you know, Francois Legrand and, you know, they were good guys at the time, Arnoux Petit, people like that. And we were just, you know, we were nowhere essentially, you know, so rather than being, you know, at the top of your little local pack thinking, oh, I'm quite, I'm quite good. You'd go to a comp like that and you'd just be like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm nowhere near the physical standards these people are. And that can give you that little kit, you know, a little boost and you're like, wow, you know, if I was climbing as well as Francois Legrand, I think what I could do on the trad. Yeah, you, you you know you're placing the, in the world a bit more, and you know when people, yeah, I, I don't know, joked about foreigners coming over and finding gritstone easy. Oh, you know, this gritstone's really hard. You know, it's really bold. And then, you know, a, a you know some French climber comes over and and cruises a lot of stuff, and it was like, well, well, yeah, you know, these guys are 
you know, these guys are awesome, these Euros, the ones you bump into, it's like, you know, they can they can climb, you know, they can really climb. So it's not really a surprise when, you know, they go to El Cap and do stuff, or they come over here and do hard trad. You know, it, I think I wasn't, I, I definitely did, I didn't have any disillusionment that, you know, the British were the best climbers in the world, apart from Jerry. I'd met Leo when I was young. Obviously, I met Leo first in the, in the comps, which, which was what was maybe one of the nice ones about the comps at that point, when there was such a small scene of, of young climbers. You know, it was a way to actually meet people. So I met people like, you know, Adam Hocking, um, Adam Jewish at the time, um, you know, Leo. There was a bunch of people. But me and Leo had been on holiday. Where did we go? We went to Mallorca when we were doing GCSEs. Um, I think we were doing them in a slightly different way. I think I was actually still aiming to do them and Leo was was basically going to drop out as soon as he did them um, but we went on holiday to Mallorca together mostly sport climbing although we did some some new tried to do some new trad routing new routing on trad um, but yeah so I knew Leo a little bit I think similar to what Patch was saying um, it was when he had finished his A-levels you know so before he went to uni we had a you know it just so happened we were both the same all, all three of us the same age Yeah, and I flew out on my own, so I wasn't, you know, I didn't go on a trip to meet Leo and Patch. Went out on my own, got Greyhound bus in 1970. First route, I think I did a route of Ian Parnell on, went into the regular route of Half Dome, did a few things, but yeah, obviously knowing Leo already and then bumping into Patch there, we, you know, we were hanging out a fair bit and, and doing stuff. I remember when, when you did the podcast with, with Patch recently, you, you, he was mentioning how, you know, me and him went and did, did loads of kind of roots together while Leo was hanging out and I kind of remember it as I, I guess it's just remembering you remember your own little way of Africans don't you know I remember him and Leo both hanging out all the time while I went off and did loads of roots with other people um you know I think I did things like a rostrum with a guy um platinum Rob Rob Miller when I did that and you know I did a few other things yeah like I say half dome um maybe me and Patch did do a few roots <laughs> he's probably right but then me and a guy, Mark Reeves, went and did Salafay. Um, so we we just set out to do it as a as an aid climb. Um, so, you know, Patch was kind of saying how when him and Leo got on El Nino, you know, he'd just done done free rider. So he was kind of the one saying, well, I vaguely know how to haul. I vaguely know how to do this stuff. You know, I've done it once before. And I guess when me and Patch got on free rider, I'd just done done Salafay as an aid climb. So I had had a vague idea. But you know, when you get to the top of that first pitch, so I led the first pitch. And I got to the top and I was like, right, I need to, need to haul. And obviously being 18, you know, I hadn't thought it'd be a good idea to practice hauling beforehand or practice tumoring. I was just like, well, I'll just get to the B-lay and work it out. So I got to the B-lay and kind of, you know, worked out how to haul and hold the bag. Um, and Mark seconded, you know, June up that pitch and, and stripped it. And I said to Mark, oh, do you want to lead? Do you want to lead this next pitch? And he was like, no, I'm, you lead this one. I'm just, just getting settled in. So I led that next pitch, hauled it, and he seconded it. And I was like, do you want to lead this pitch? He's like, no, no, no. So I basically, I, it was brilliant. I led every pitch on, on Salafay, <laughs> just doing it as an aid climb, but, you know, led every pitch, hauled it all, and we spent a couple of nights on it. And then I got to the last pitch, which was like, I don't know, like a 5-8 little, little scramble. I said to Mark, Mark, do you want to, do you want to lead this pitch? And he was like, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> so he got to lead the last pitch. Um, but that, yeah, that was obviously brilliant. Doing a route on El Cap in any style is as a as a climb. Particularly, I didn't have big dreams of El Cap before I got there. But as soon as you come into that valley, you know, as soon as soon as you, yeah, you know, like I say, I arrived in the Greyhound, and you're just looking at all those windows, and you know, El Cap, and on one side, Sentinel on the other, and Half Dome at the top of the valley. You know, it's just 
you know, pretty for for an eighteen year old who had spent most of my time climbing the UK. It was quite mind blowing to see the size of those walls, and they're just so accessible. You know, they're right there. You know, you, you see big walls in the Alps. You know, I'd skied in the Alps or climbed in the Alps, but they're, they're always a bit of a distance, so you don't kind of. It's not so immediate. Whereas there, you you sat on a bus and it's just rising out right above you. So the part of Patch's story that didn't quite add up for me was that they were teenagers and they'd met the Huber brothers in the Yosemite Valley who'd encouraged them to go and try freerider. And the Hubers said, well, maybe ab in, check out some of the hardest sections, uh, and then you could work out the logistics to go for it. Bearing in mind, Patch had never done a big wall at this point, and Ben had just done the one. I find it amazing that they started at the bottom with all their kits and just went for it. Ben's version of this is a little bit different, though. Rather than being these protective fatherly figures, he thinks the Hubers had a slightly different motive. Technically, they hadn't actually done Freerider when we set off on it. So they hadn't actually led the route. Alex had led the individual pitches rope solo when he'd abseiled into them to working Salafay. So I think he I think he might have been slightly concerned <laughs> that we were actually going to do it. And he it's a kind of a weird, weird thing what you call a first ascent. You know, he'd led all the pitch all the new pitches on Freerider, but he hadn't actually led it from the bottom to the top. So maybe he was trying to delay us a little bit. <laughs> but they'd been prepping it. But yeah, you know, I, I think that's maybe being a bit unfair to him because they were, they were really, really friendly to us and, and we were hanging out with them a lot in the boulders and bouldering together. We'll go, they tended to not do the boulder problems because they were like, we, we can't afford to break our ankles. You know, if we break our ankles, we get no money. And, and Leo, Leo in particular, obviously, was just jumping around, you know, like an idiot. We just set off on it. You know, when you... I don't know if it was that we were over confident as 18 year olds but we'd I'd always just gone climbing you know and I'd I'd tried hard stuff in the past and it wasn't that I'd be like oh you know I can onto that E7 I can do that route I just I wasn't scared to set off on stuff I, I think I was confident in my ability that I wasn't going to get into trouble and that might you know I often failed on routes but you know I'd I was happy to kind of make those decisions that I went so I could get on a hard route a hard scary route and I'd just you know I wouldn't just committing like an idiot you know I'd, I'd assess it as I went and it was kind of the same on on free riding particularly because I'd just done Salafay as an aid climb I was like well there's you know I'm not worried about getting stuck on the wall and not knowing how to get off and we've got ropes we can abseil down we can you know we know how to do that stuff um and I guess I just wasn't concerned that it was gonna be, you know be an, an epic we weren't like oh yeah we can piss it but we were like well what, you know what's the worst that can happen we were like those typical 18-year-olds. You know, we were like pretty unprepared, hadn't packed properly. We'd taken a stove but no pans, so we had like tins of spaghetti and we were trying to heat them up in the tin, you know, so the bottom half would be burnt and the top half would be cold. And we'd only brought one tin eat to share for each night, so the food for a night was like a tin of like monster spaghetti or alphabetti spaghetti or whatever, and that was like that was our evening meal. Um, and we'd open a tin and then the, uh, we'd take it in turns who had the cold half and who had the hot half. And we'd, you know, like Patch would be eating up, be like, you've had more than half. Like, look at how many rings there are on the tin. And he'd be like, oh, but, you know, the top half is a bit of air. You know, it's all sunk to the bottom. Oh, and, you know, next like, week, next day it would be giveaway round. And he'd be like, oh, you've had more than me. You know, we're having all these little arguments. Like, only like light-hearted ones, but we're like, and yeah, you know, dropping stuff and, you know, who slept where on the ledges because we didn't have portal ledges we were just sleeping on the, on the crag oh you had a better night's sleep than me and 
I remember, again, with your podcast, Patch was talking about the monster off-whip. And I guess it just shows how it is being in when you're climbing together, because um, I don't remember him on that pitch really at all. But I'd led the pitch before, and we'd got this really bad beater off. I think it was off Dean Potter, who'd said you could climb direct into the monster off-whip, which was easier, and it meant you had about 40 or 50 foot extra kind of off-whip to do. I mean, it missed out this 512 bit of face climbing. Now, we could piss 512 face climbing. But for some reason, we were like, oh, yeah, yeah, Dean, that sounds great. We'll we'll do that variation. Um, so I actually, it was me who set off on the, on the monster. So I started leading it. And I led it, I think it was Camelot 4. So again, when Patrick was talking about the cams, we had a we had a Camelot 4 and a Camelot 5. Um, I think the sizing has changed slightly, but the Camelot 4, I think, is, is you know a bit bigger than the Friend 4. Um, and we, you know, that went in first, so that was kind of fist size. And the crack got a bit wider, and I didn't really know what to do, but I had this bigger camel, and I was pushing that up in front of me. Um, and I was essentially laybacking it, because I couldn't really off-whip climb. <laughs> I'd done a little bit in the UK, but I didn't really know what I was doing, so I was kind of laybacking, and I was pushing this cam up, and then I'd rest on the cam, because I'd, you know, I was getting tired. Um, and I'd push it up a bit higher while climbing, and I'd, you know, I'd t- taken a couple of rests, Um and I, I was now on on the bit, which is where the normal monster kind of comes in. Um, and I remember I was, I was laybacking it, pushing his cam. And I was really close to these big flakes, and then suddenly the cam spun sideways because the crack got a bit wider, and it just dropped down the rope. So it slid away from me because I hadn't clipped it to my harness. So I'd just been pushing it in front of me, but it was clipped to the rope, like you know, like a normal runner. So it spun sideways, and it just dropped down the rope. And I looked down, it was yeah. I'm not sure how far it was to come lot four, but it felt like it was 64 or something to come lot four. You know, I was like, oh my God. And I looked up and these flakes were about five foot away. And I was like, well, I can just, I'll just go for those. You know, I'll just lay back up and get to those flakes. So I just lay back up and I got to these flakes. And I guess partly because I'd lost the cam by this point, but also I was just like, right, I'm I'm not going any higher. I'm just going to belay where I am. So, and I made this belay on these flakes. Um, I think it was maybe a bolt as well, but anyway, I set up a belay and I started hauling the bags and Patch started jumering up. And then I noticed as he was jumering, a block that I'd tied him off to started coming out of the crack. <laughs> so I stopped hauling the bag and I kind of held this block in place while Patch jumered up to me. Um, and then he obviously brought the cam with him, the big cam which had fallen out. So he again put the cam in up above because it fitted above the blocks and we kind of re-belayed and finished hauling. So, and then I just remember him leading his pitch and finding it, you know, I don't know how he found it. I can't remember it. Um, but again, in his story, you know, he's going on about his pitch and how scared he was. And, you know, to me at the time, I was just, oh, yeah, I was terrified after my pitch. You know, I'm just being patch <laughs> and stuff. But I remember, as well, you know, we did things as well, like the Hoovers would put all these um, bits of finger tape on the crack because they, they were doing it in a day. So they were getting ready to do it. And they actually overtook us on their one day ascent, which I think was maybe good you know, the first proper ascent of it, I don't know. But anyway, they overtook us doing it in a day, but they'd put all these bits of finger tape on the cracks and written the cam size that would go in next to the finger tape. So a bit like a tick mark, but they'd, you'd write like cam two and there'd be a bit of tape with cam two in it and that'd be where they'd place the cam two. So me and Patch were just like moving these bits of tape. We'd like, every time we came across a bit of tape, we'd peel it off the wall and just kind of even move it or just like scrunch it up and chuck it away. So we were trying to like, you know, sabotage all of their sense, but kind of meant nicely. We weren't like, oh, we want them to fail. We were just like, oh, let's move these, and we were just like, yeah, we're just basically having a having a pretty good time um, until we basically ran out of food. Um, so we ran out of food like just below the top, um, 
and we ended up jumering up like the last last four pitches. I think we just jumered up the Hoobers fixed ropes because we had we had fixed ropes and left sleeping bags kind of half not halfway like four four or five pitches down for if they failed to do it in a day. Um, and I'd just overtaken them and they said, to us, oh, if you want to do more ropes, it's okay, but you must carry all our stuff. <laughs> so we ended up carrying all of their like sleeping bags and all their fixed ropes um, and just doing the last kind of four or five pitches to the top. Well, not so much doing it a day. I think what Planning in Mind then was doing it because we, we hadn't done it. We'd done, you know, probably the, some of the hardest pitches like the bowl problem and the, and the two corners up to the roof. You know, we'd, I, think, I think we both led all of the, pitches above 512 apart from the monster and apart from a, you know maybe one or two near the top that we you know we're due and pass so we basically both led the majority of the hard pitches um but obviously we hadn't you know hadn't done it we were still quite a way off doing it so yeah i wanted to just go and, and do the route i think it was when i'd finished uni so i went back patch and you know patch and leo continued on their adventures um and i went back i did have my year out but i you know went to uni i ended up going to uni with patch so he he joined us maybe actually yeah i mean he must have just had one year out as well because he joined me in my first year we were in a house in leeds with patch and a few other people so it was when i finished uni i headed back out to yosemite and i went along with a, a swiss lad who'd come and stayed on our sofa for about six months guy ivan dresh um who was a you know, really good climber and jason pickles um, so we went out really again when we got to yosemite game was to just try and do free rider so ivan base ivan and jason were kind of you know looking at it and ivan was was probably stronger stronger of the two so he ended up basically leading in pretty much everything and i was just like look i'm i'm just going to lead the pitches i've not led before and i'm you know whatever on the other ones i'll second them i'll juma them i'm not not so concerned um, and did that, which I kind of got to the top. I was going, like, oh, yeah, I've done freerider. But then I'd only actually, on that visit, I'd probably only climbed like six pitches. <laughs> but I was like, I did the six pitches I hadn't done. So I was kind of like, well, well I've done all the pitches. But it did, I guess it didn't quite, sit quite right with, with me. And also we were, I guess, just got inspired to do it in a day. There's a key reason why I love this next part of the story. If you listen to the second episode with Duncan Critchley, nine and a half hours, you'll see how similar the two of them are. So we decided that we would we would set out at uh, first lights. We we took Danish pastries as our um, performance fuel for the day and uh, climbed it in uh, tracksuit trousers and uh, and t-shirts. Ben's motivation and what he loves about this adventure is just the idea that uh, it's just the disrespect for El Capitan going to show up at the bottom and you're just going to go for it you'll have a big day at the crag for ben and ivan this was exactly the same so we went up it twice and the second time we went up it we left a little bit of food and water in a, in a couple of places um, although we left it in in brown paper bags and it turned out all the birds all the ravens just ate it all so we didn't actually have any food on it um, but yeah we so we slashed a bit of food and, and kind of practiced the pitches a bit more but, you know, not overly. We just kind of climbed it in like three or four days or whatever. Yeah, and then we, we decided to go for it. We had a bit of a run-in with the law <laughs> before we... So we were kind of getting ready to to go for it and, and being... I guess I wasn't as young, but still being stupid, we managed to, to get caught shoplifting me and Ivan. <laughs> we were stealing knee bandages to protect our knees for the off-width and got caught. So we, we went, to, went to the jail in Yosemite and got bailed out... And we had to go back. So we got bailed out on like a, a Saturday night, Friday morning. 
Saturday morning. I can't remember. Anyway, we got we got bailed out like, just at the start of a weekend, and the judge was obviously off for the weekend until Monday, so we had to go back to court on Monday to get our, our sentencing. And we were worried that we might, you know, get, get put in jail, or we might get chucked out of the valley or something like that. So we were like, oh, well, we have to do free rider. <laughs> we'll have to do it tomorrow because <laughs> otherwise, you know, we might not be here. So we we just, you know, got up early and, and set off on it. I can't remember who bailed us out. It might have been Jason's girlfriend. It was somewhere we got ba- we got ba- we didn't have enough money to bail our own to our own bond. <laughs> we just set off on it and it was yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. So a few people had done it in a day by that point. So the Hoobers did it, you know, they overtook me and patched on it. And I think by this point, you know, maybe four or five people had done it in a day. Um, in mixed techniques, I think the Hoobers had done it team free, so leading and seconding, but everyone else I think had done it where one person would lead the whole route and they'd have kind of a supporting person along who would zoom our up, maybe carry a bag and a bit of water and stuff. But we were like, well, we, we, want, we don't want to do it like that. You know, we both want to do it, but also we want to treat it just like a like you would do climbing in the UK, you know, like you would do just on a normal multi-pitch route. So we'll turn up at the bottom and I'll lead the first pitch and you can second it and then you lead the next pitch and I'll second it. And we, we just wanted to do it like that. I think we had a jumper on, which we, in the heat of the day, we tied around our waist, you know, head, head touches clipped to the back of your harness. Um, we had a tiny rack of gear. I think we had eight cams and eight quick draws. It didn't seem totally casual. We were like, this is, you know, it's is going to be a big, quite a big deal. And But I don't, I don't remember any doubts. And, I, and again, I don't think that was because I was like, oh, we are going to do it. But I just, I don't think we were worried or or cared. We were just like, well, we'll just we'll just go for it and see. And and yeah, you know, we didn't take much. Like I say, we just had a jumper on at the start. We started, we did start pretty early. We started in the dark, so at like, I don't know, four or five in the morning, something like that. Yeah, didn't even take trainers, so we ended up walking down in our rock boots. I think me and Pat should like found food and eaten it when we'd been on on freerider because we run, you know, we were running out of food. And people often do if they've got a bit more food or water, they'll often leave it on the wall. I guess partly selfishly not to have to haul it up, but partly kind of like, well, if someone else arrives here, they'll, you know, they'll be able to use our water and food. So me and Pat should like found food and and tried to eat it. So me and Ivan, we got to uh, the end of pretty much the end of free blast. Is it Heart Ledge or Mammoth Terrace? One of those where we'd stash for you know our breakfast and it was like bagels and avocado. It was yeah, really nice stuff. And we got and it was all all gone. And we were like, you know, we were really pissed off. We were like, bastard, you know, some climbers have eaten our food. And uh, and we hunted around. We found this tin tin of food and some boulders, and it, you know it had that kind of self opening little. It was a tin of fish, you know, one of those tins. But it had one of those kind of pull off tops. And we pulled it off, and it was I think it was sardines or something like that. I'm not, we weren't a big fish fan. I don't know how long these sardines had been, like, stashed under this boulder on this ledge, but we opened these sardines and started trying to eat them with, like, our fingers at seven in the morning. We were pretty upset with the food gone because, yeah, you know, it, it was a big day for us, for sure. You know, it's one of the one of the biggest, hardest, longest, whatever days I feel like I've had. Um you know, definitely of hard climbing. So we were, yeah, with the lack of food, we were starting to get a bit, a bit concerned. We got, we pushed on, we got to El Cap Spire. So back then we knew how to off whip. So, and the good thing with Ivan was I, I'd got quite good at cracks or better at cracks, whereas he was from Switzerland. So he had bouldered like Fonte B, which back then was really, really hard. So he was, you know, he was amazingly strong. But in, when we turned up in Yosemite, he couldn't hand jam. We'd taught him how to hand jam. So, you know, he was doing amazingly well, but he was kind of like, oh, well, you, you lead the harder cracks. And he was leading to like a boulder problem pitch. So I, you know, I led the monster, but 
you know, at the same time, I probably had a slightly easier deal. <laughs> I was leading like his 5'8", you know, we've got 5'8 chimneys I would lead and then it'd get to like a 5'12 bowler prom pitch and he'd lead it. And I'd be like, just keep it tight while I'm seconding Ivan. <laughs> Not too tight, I don't want to cheat, but you know, nice, <laughs> keep it snug. <laughs> but so we got to El Cap Spire, which is where we'd stashed lunch and all the lunch had gone. And at that point we were like, I think we maybe saw some of the paper fluttering around and we were like, oh, it's, you know, it's birds which have been eating it. But again, because I think partly because we didn't have many clothes and because we hadn't eaten, like when we when we stopped, we were just getting getting cold and getting like feeling worse. So we basically didn't stop. So we didn't really stop on the spire. We didn't have any we didn't have any food to eat anyway. So we just carried on, um, and we got we got through the bold prom okay, and we got to the enduro corners, and that was meant to be Ivan's one of his big leads, but he fell off the um the top the hardest corner pitch. He fell off, and he had to never get. He fell off, and he was like he was like Ben. Um, he swore a lot. Well, he was like, Ben, I'm fucked. He was like, yeah, I'm really fucked. You'll have to do it. So uh, he handed the ropes over to me and I was like, right, I've got, you know, I was pretty, we were both tired. It was like pitch, I don't know, 20, 20, whatever. And I was like, right, I've basically got one chance at, at this. I'm just going to have to just utterly go for it on this this pitch. And I knew, you know, the start's really hard, um, but there were a couple of like in-situ cop heads or whatever, or maybe Ivan's gear, even though he could put a couple of pieces in and hadn't probably hadn't stripped them out. And I was like, well, where's that, that gear there? And then I know there's a good hand jam and a good cam basically halfway up the rest of the pitch. So I just climbed flat out to that one cam. I didn't place any more gear until I got to that cam, until I got to that hand jam where I placed that kind of one cam. And I looked up and it was like, you know, 40 foot to the B lane. I was like, right, well, I'm just, I'm not going to place any more gear. And I think I'd maybe even left all the, you know, what gear we had. I'd left it with Ivan on the B lane. I was just like, right, I've only got like two quick just left. I'm just going for the B lane. And I just went for the beer and got there. And I was just, you know, it felt like we, when we did that pitch, we were like, I think we're, we're probably in. And I even seconded it clean. And we got around the corner and it was kind of suddenly in the shade and we were really cold and tired. And we kind of stopped. We were kind of cuddling each other to try and keep keep warm. But then we found this Nalgene bottle, which was from, I think, from Platinum Robin left it because he'd done it in a, in a, that guy I did the rostrum with kind of back in 98, had just done free riding in a day. And he'd left a Nalgene full of Fig Newtons so obviously, being sensible, he'd put in some of the birds coming. So we found this analogy and we opened it. We ate, shared out these fig newtons. And then we had like four, you know, four pitches to the top. Where you basically knew you were in by that point. You know, you were like, yeah, you know, this is... This is and it was still light. So we were going up those pitches, which are kind of on the edge of the Salafay headwall. They're just to its left. But they're just, you know, talking about the exposure. It's amazing exposure. Brilliant climbing. And you're just going up those pitches. And yeah, you're tired. and But you're kind of like... I, I'm pretty sure we've got this and this is just, you know, it's amazing. It's, the sun's starting to set, you know, we can still see, you know, we're going to do it. And that was, you know, that was awesome to, and to climb El Cap like that, you know, like it's a route, just to, like it's just like a day route, you know, without a little haul bag, without, you know, water on your hand, just turning up. It was, I, I, we'd done the prep and we'd stashed the food, we'd got eaten, but, you know, it felt like you were just a big day cragging. And those big day days cragging go, you know, to, free glamour on El Cap is, is amazing. So in Leo's episode, I guess I was wondering, where do you go from there when they've done El Nino? And in Ben's case, he was obviously wondering the same thing. After doing free rider in a day, what's next? The answer seemed pretty obvious. We were doing so, so much, so many kind of long routes. And, you know, we were really fast, really efficient. And yeah, you know, something like Astromite was just like a little afternoon stroll at that point and we were like it's just it's just brilliant but we were also kind of like you know well what's the what's the next step with this fitness and this confidence we've got yeah you know me and Ivan were just like right let's go to Patagonia 
Join us next time on Factor 2 from UK Climbing. I'm Will Treasure. Thanks for listening. Felt like you were just a big day cragging. And those big day days cracking go, you know, to free climber on El Cap is, is amazing. And I was sat there in my tracksuit trousers and T-shirts like I was doing a two or three pitch route on go golf and it just felt absolutely amazing. <laughs>